Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. We are out of studio today on location in the Women's Health Centre at the Matter Private in Cork. And with me today I have Professor Dominic Hegarty, who is a pain management specialist and the president of the World Institute the of World Pain. Institute of Pain, which sounds like such a such a fascinating institute. And um, thank you so much for joining me. I guess you are probably inundated. I don't know anyone who doesn't at some point struggle with pain and feel maybe a little bit like it's in their heads or their pain is not managed well. Do you find that pain and management is something that people need to rethink or that there are new ways of thinking about it? Um, absolutely. And it's great to be able to, to chat about this because this is the most important thing is to exactly address that question. People have the perception that pain is something you either have and you must keep and you can't get better or it's not there. It's all in my head and everybody tells me I look great. So I, I'm so tired of it. I want to stay at home and get away from it. Mm-hmm. But it, it is something we have to rethink. We have to think and understand that it's a major problem, right? Just think European numbers, one in five individuals across Europe have chronic pain. What do I mean by that? It means you've got chronic pain on a daily basis or a severe pain daily basis uh, for at least three months. Now, three months is not a short, not a long time, really. If you think about it, anyone who is in operation, yeah, but if six, you're dealing with pain out, every day, it's a long time. It's a long time, and every twenty-four hours, because daytime becomes nighttime, and nighttime falls into day, and of course, this is the vicious circle that really is a problem. So, individuals work on on trying their best. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point when you just have to give up, and you say, "Look, what do I do next?" and where do I go next and um, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons why we run into trouble maybe we'll chat about those but ultimately well, like First of all talk for, for the audience what are the things you see mostly because like when you talk about pain I immediately think back pain because that's what I sometimes suffer with with sciatica and my lower back and, and you're right, because about 60% of individuals will actually suffer from back pain mm-hmm. at some point in their lifetime. I mean, that's like two out of three people will have it. And that's enough to take them out of work a few days, a couple of tablets, need to see a physio GP. So you're, you're talking about, you know, a decent break from And is pain. that because of our lifestyle or why is it so high? Probably, probably a little bit of that. Um, and probably because we're, you know, we're probably not meant to be standing upright. <laughs> okay, right, okay. In a way. Um, so yeah, there is. And then of course we don't mind each other. We don't mind it. And now you go from a time when we said, oh, it's because the, the chap is out in the road and he was digging or he was in the farming or he was labouring. Now there's more people sitting in front of screens and computers like we're doing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So that posture and we're spending long hours in the one place, we're paying less attention. So it's a repetitive, low-level injury uh, can be as vital as going over and lifting a bag of coal too quickly and hurting your back. Right, so okay. So it's knowledge, it's understanding it. So definitely lifestyle has impacted across the whole lot of it. There has to be an element of genetics. We all, we see it. It does happen. We can't quantify that. We can do nothing about that. Yeah. Um, but we can look after our lifestyle a little bit better. And I think that's, that's a definite yes. My, I just think my grandfather all the time when we talk about back pain, because he'd be going, he had, you know, it came to the end of his life. He had different issues. He had prostate cancer, he had issues with his eyes, he had issues with his ears. And every specialist he went to, they'd be like, yeah, these glasses now, they'll, they'll fix your eyes. And he's like, yeah, but can you do anything about the pain in my back? Like he just was constantly it giving does. out about a pain. Absolutely, it dominates and it takes over people on a day-to-day basis. Um, they think of nothing else but it and it's understandable um, and becomes their norm. That, so what else, issue. what other issues are like, what, what's the kind of, what are the most chronic issues or the most um, common, I guess, pain issues that you see coming in? As we've mentioned, the low back pain, but you get a lot of neck and upper arm pain. 
that would be okay. the next kind of more common. Again, it's structural. It's around the, the as in neck radiating into the hands. Um, you're tending to see a little bit of that related around computer positioning, people working low level or constantly in, in the one position all the time. So that's definitely a high winner. That would make up probably another 20% of the cohort. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, I suppose, the other one, which is a bit more broader. And uh, your listeners will be familiar with terms like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue pain. And they've got pain, pelvic pain, abdominal pain. Um, so a whole array of areas are coming on board at that point but they're they're lesser in, yes, in number okay. um, and of course then there's the other category that we have to look at is, is cancer based pain and we're going to speak a lot about non-cancer based pain because cancer pain is a different ball game altogether I think that's that's a different conversation and a different strategy for that um, but the the non-cancer pain this these are the top elements to because to I think when we, when we think of pain as a word it's such a broad it's such a broad spectrum and I guess it must take a certain, like you must cross a, th- a certain threshold before you're seeing a pain management consultant. You know, like when I have pain in my back, I don't think of going to a consultant. I think of going to a physio or trying to get help that way. And I think, I wonder whether if you know that your pain is cancer related or MS related or Parkinson's related, that does that stop you going to a pain management person? Because you know what the cause is. Are people coming to you for kind of the root or the management? Um some people will come because they feel it's the last, the last straw mm-hmm. or the last stopping point on the element. Um, there's a traditional system and it just goes very simple on numbers. The number of physicians or surgeons in, say, orthopedics, in uh, rheumatology, for example, or other systems far exceeds what pain medicine can ever a- add. Pain medicine is a very young sport, if you look at the history of it. Okay. Even though it goes back into maybe the 60s and 70s before the first probable prob- proper pain programming and concepts were started by John Bonnecke and all of the senior, senior people. That's not long ago, okay? You know, disc surgery, back surgery goes all the way back into the Egyptians and further back, right, standing okay. on their back and doing all kinds of operations to sort it out. So you can see why we're behind the curve a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also in fairness to it, the whole concept of what we can do is pain and interventions have changed quite a lot in the last decade or maybe 20 years as well. So that's why we're, we're bottom of the list in terms of referrals. So a person gets a back pain, they get a leg pain, the first thing their GP or we'll go say, right, a bit of physio, that's not working. We'll do a scan and we'll send you to an orthopedic surgeon, maybe a neurosurgeon if needs be, depending on it. That's the route. That's the circle that people go through. And in fairness, they, they're swamped. They manage to do their very best. They get what they can done. Some people do need surgery, more people don't. And then it's at that phase that they begin to fall into the kind of the concept, oh, we have to go somewhere else because I can't keep doing this. I need to talk to somebody. And uh, hopefully if your GP has been, you know, uh, working, will know who's local to their area and yeah. they say, listen, we'll get so-and-so to see you. He does a bit of this. That's how it works. Sometimes you actually find now that uh, patients themselves so- source out where to go because they're frustrated. They feel that medicine might have just slipped behind. Surgery can't offer them anything. Physio, they've got enough of it. And they'll 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 pick up Dr. Google, they'll look on the thing and they'll find out, well, who's talking this element? And very often people self-present, obviously with the support of the medical documents. They just can't walk in. Mm-hmm. But essentially they come, they're investigating because they want to take it to the next level because they have to. The pain is impacting on them straight away. So when someone comes into me with that, you, you're going to go, these people want to get better. There's no doubt about it. And can you, I guess that's the question, can you get better or is the title pain management kind of an acceptance that like you're going to have to live with this pain but we're going to manage it? Yeah, I think that's the fairest starting point. Okay, that'd be okay. the fairer element to it itself. Because of the pathway I've just outlined to you, many people go on from perhaps two years before they may even get to a pain specialist. And we have two years then to unwind at that stage and that's a long thing. Now, there's a lot of biologicals behind that. We do know, for example, animal models, we know from our research that the body and the pain system, the nervous system changes over time. So it develops a brand new pathway saying this becomes, inverted commas, my normal. Chronic pain becomes normal. So this evidence is there in the animals. The the way you transmit your pain changes, the receptors, the mediators, they all change. Does that mean that even if you sort of cure... The, your brain is now sort of not addicted, but it's just used to being in pain. There's there's an element of that, absolutely. Okay. No, there is an element of that. And that concept that I use, the phrase of rebooting the brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it isn't all negative. Let's let's be a little positive here. Yeah. Um, when If you can stop that signal going into the brain, um, the brain can then say, oh, so that's what normal is again. Okay. Now, Does this I, lend itself to the argument that it's all in your head? 
No, it doesn't because if, if it were the case, if I did an injection for someone, I do a specific nerve block or something and I treat the pain that's with, at source, then it can disappear from the head and it's got a stem. So it isn't all in your head at all. Okay. I think that's Amazing. it. But re, you must remember the pain centre, the interpretation of is at a cognitive level, is, is at a brain level. Okay. It interacts with emotion. It inter interacts with how you react and how you express yourself, how you sleep. The biggest impact or pain has is on sleep, sleep pattern. Anyone who has had it will tell you I can't sleep with it. Mm -hmm. And they're all very central, you know, they're very similar. So there's a huge, not just an up and down from the pain in your foot to your brain, there's the crosstalk between your ears. That's important as well, the way the signal is spread across the brain tissue. And pain in itself is like it casts a shadow, it casts a shadow across all these other areas of your brain. And then you begin to get all these negative compartments that get affected by it itself. But it's demonstrated if you sort out the pain or at least the symptom of the pain, you can make people much better. Sleeping improves, appetite improves, movement improves. So there's a huge positive to it. So it's not all in the brain whatsoever. Otherwise, to be fair, play, I'd, I'd be out of a job because yes, you know okay. by me doing treatment, you must remember people come to me probably eight and maybe nine out of ten people will benefit from a procedure at some point. And what were, were you saying there that there is a procedure you can do that sort of blocks the perception of the pain rather than the pain itself, like rather than the injury or... There's, there's, there's both bits to it, to be fair. The first thing is to, to do that is to stop the perception of the pain travelling from A to B because sometimes the injury may be well and truly gone. For example, you might have had a ruptured disc and you had your sciatica and you had your injury and that's very clearly a mechanical cause of your pain because your disc is prolapsed, rubbed off the nerve, you've got your pain. Mm -hmm. You might have had surgery or maybe the disc settles down the mechanical bit is gone, but the tissue around it is not right. And it's not perfect, but it's not right. And it's mm -hmm. certainly giving you a lot of a lot of hassle in that sense. But if I can now treat that area and alleviate the adhesions that are there, for example, by specifically targeting it, I am stopping the pain, but I'm also clearing the environment better in, an, in a non-surgical way. Okay. So that really is doing the double, the double width to it. In some situations, you cannot change that physical injury that's there, okay? So then you play on changing the pathways and controlling the pathways and, and thankfully we do have products we have local anesthetics we have steroids but we also have technology and this is where technology probably is the future of where pain, pain medicine is coming from and going to intersecting that signal on a constant basis so it's saying okay we accept you've got an injury you've got an adhesion or a disc issue that's giving you this constant ridiculous pain we accept that we can't do anything about that you either live with it or maybe we can actually intersect this with an opposite signal, but like a positive and negative electronics scenario. My head is kind of going to a TENS machine. <laughs> uh, TENS machine is is external, okay? okay? And that's fine, and that's wonderful. For the listener who doesn't know, I'll just explain oh, what a TENS, me, TENS machine is. TENS machine is a transcutaneous electrical device, excuse me, two pads stuck on the lower back usually, or wherever you need to have it, and you it's attached to, um, for those listeners of an old Walkman, you, yeah. you turn it up and down and you get this muscle throbbing and, ten and, and tension building in your For muscle. all the world it feels like a tiny electric shock. That's what it is. Oh. And when you run it, that's what it does. It gives this distractional strategy to those nerve fibres because it usually works on muscle component to it. And you turn it off, it usually pain comes back or the sensation comes back. By and large, that's the problem. So it's short-lived, it's very physical. So you might get relief while you're using it. While you're using it. Because I know that a lot of women are, are recommended it in labour. So like when you're Absolutely. having a contraction, you use the TENS machine, you'll kind of be distracted and then the contraction's gone. Absolutely. And it's it actually uses a theory, almost what we call back from the 1960s, called the gate theory, which actually just imagines one signal going up. You give a signal, a second signal alongside it. The brain gets a bit confused and says, oh, Okay, it seems like it's a, mo a bit more reasonable now. It's not that it's gone. It's a little bit more reasonable. It's like and the brain can only perceive one Absolutely. pain at once. Absolutely. Okay. So that's very, that's very superficial and that's fine. No, when you, when you want to really make an impact, you've got to go to the nervous tissue. You've got to go okay. into the nervous system. Sometimes you're talking about spinal cord stimulating and, and, and intersecting the nerve fibres at certain portions along the spinal canal where they can have a huge impact on it and actually stops the signal going through, the electronics going through. Because ultimately pain is a very simple biological electrical activity. Okay. Explain it to us. When you think about um, pain, it, it you if you put your hand on something that's hot, mm -hmm. okay, how does that signal go from your fingertip to your brain? It generates what we call an action potential. Now, that's a nice way of saying the nerve says, don't like this signal, sets off a train of events, and that then is passed all the way up along through the nerve fibre, through your spine, to your brain, and you register that. You've learned that because you've learned that's hot and that's cold. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. It's when that signal then begins to constantly become 
an activity, when that nerve fibre sends that electrical current on a constant basis up through the nerve fibre, through the spinal column, into the brain, that that becomes a problem, even when you don't have your hand on something that's hot. Okay. That's what chronic pain is. And that becomes the norm. And that's the way the biological system thinks that that's what chronic pain is, or should I say, that's what normal is. But of course, the other half of your body who doesn't have pain says, that's not normal at all. So um, you're... You're saying with technology, you can kind of put a roadblock in the middle of that pathway. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really, it's, you know, where, where is pain medicine come from in the last maybe 15 years? That's exactly where it is. You can actually control that um, on a day-to-day basis. And if you're having a lot of those activities and that nerve fibre is firing a lot, mm-hmm. you can actually counterbalance it in a very equal way. And, and can you do that without like, so I'm imagining, do you know the way sometimes, you know, maybe if someone has diabetes, they can't feel their foot, right? So they might stand on something really hot, but their brain doesn't register it, but that's numb and that's a damage. Can you do that without losing the sensation in that nerve? Um, when you put the electronics yeah. in place, you can. You can oh, absolutely wow. do that, absolutely. And we're learning an awful lot about what we call the frequency of the way we deliver it and the nerve fibres that we actually will influence in it. Um, and now we're going, going to the next step up. We're saying, okay, maybe there are other cells involved in the pain pathway. There's this group of cells called the glial cell, which is a really busy cell, but there's loads of it in the spinal column. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sitting there. We don't know what they're doing, but we've been able to stimulate or activate those in a certain way. And again, for certain individuals, that's the pathway that can influence their pain even better. So you're getting the tissue to affect the tissue itself. And now, how do you work out what someone's pathway is? Like, is it always going to be the same? Like if you've pain in your hand, it's always going to be the same pathway or? Yeah, to, to a point, there is a, there's a normal, right? I mean, yes. there's a the physiological or normal typical. that we know about. So mm-hmm. the typical. So we can understand, okay, here's the, here's the normal strategy. We can try and assess these fibres sometimes and maybe we can talk about that a little bit but that's just coming in the early infancies of when work out what that numbness is or how how sore or how hot things are that's down the road but trying to control it we know certain pathways we know the certain influencing pathways we also know that not every pain is the same now again go back into the 60s it was thought one one channel closes the whole gate off mm-hmm. we had A and B and that's fine just like we thought opioids was going to be the answer to everything else it's not and anti-inflammatory it's not there's a combination of events going on so you can work out and you can give 60-70% control of the situation reasonably quickly. But with the software and with our understanding now from clinical trials globally, we can begin to understand certain algorithms of stimulation can counterbalance that negatively far better. The body is very clever. The mm-hmm. body is not just an on and not button. It's yes, pretty yeah. clever. And Mother Nature knows how to look after us. There's always a kind of a double way of sorting things out. So we have to be clever and we have to do that. But the technology now is important. And people have to think about their mobile phone. Not so long ago, all you could do was make a phone call on it. And, yes, and, yeah. and we see the movies and there was a brick and a big long aerial on it. Now you can do, listen to a podcast on it. Now you, now you can do whatever you want on it and you can do your emailing and everything else because the software, the technology has accelerated so much and that's exactly the same with the technology in the pain world right now. We can counterbalance that aspect to it uh, very much so. And and it's wonderful. It really can give people their life back. It can make a big impact on taking away from people who were dependent on things like opioids and, and morphine and um, make them move a little bit. Sometimes we can even avoid having disc surgery and back surgery if we can get them a little bit earlier. And that's one of the issues you mentioned earlier about the routine. Mm-hmm. Most people go through the surgery and come out the other side. Fine. If you can get some individuals before they go for surgery, we can save them months and months of rehabilitation. rehabilitation. For example, the implantation of these devices, and your listeners can, can look them up, they're called spinal cord stimulation, and they're very selective. They're not for everyone, let's be fair. So like are they for just mu- like musculo, musculoskeletal? skeletal stuff or like if you have endo, like a lot of people are my listeners have some questions about you know endometriosis and that sort of pain yeah. management do they work for those um right now no, we don't have that evidence to say yes, yes we don't okay. have that evidence we have the solid evidence in the low back pain the leg pain that's really the ridicular, ridicular pain the neck pain the headache pain with a lot of solid evidence so okay. we're talking 25 years of knowledge now and um, there's been a couple of problems with the trials over the years one of them being the technology has been changing so yeah you're not able to compare like with 
like. like. So what we were doing five years ago is completely behind the scale now compared to what we can do now. Yes. So every trial, you're starting, well, where's that trial with a thousand people? You can't. You can get 25, 30 people. That's a massive number in chronic pain world. Um, and, and you try and push it out there. Remember, this technology and these elements are probably going to capture the top 5% of okay. people. So let's be realistic here a small bit. But for that top 5%, it's economically wise, it's life changing. But economically, it's this the most expensive cohort of patients in any health service globally. So they're the ones that are in the clinic on a regular basis. They're the ones who need the procedures. They're the ones who are taking all the physio sessions up. And the concept economically is if we can move this particular high cohort of persons out of the services, then it leaves more space for the mid-range individuals who can get some benefit from physio, from can physio, get to the physio yes, a bit okay. earlier, can get the psychology systems they needed. So you're not firefighting. We've got to be thinking ahead. And that's that's the the major change in how the systems have to be looking forward to. But I think, you know, industry, which is a key element to this, industry players, they are helping us. They are really pushing this as forward as much as they can. Of course, you can argue they're in it for a reason, aren't they? Mm -hmm. But actually, we need them to be in it because if we can shift a small cohort of people, it can open up um, such a big cohort. For example, if I take someone who's a spinal cord stimulator, they'll probably take up five times more of my clinical time than an individual who presents for the first time with a relatively straightforward low back pain with a radicular element that may or may not need surgery. If I get my hands on that individual reasonably quickly, within three, four months, they could be back at work, no problems, no surgery, nothing basically back doing whatever they want. And what, what, what do you do that's different with them? The first thing is you identify, the, the, or at least trying to identify the cause of it. But yeah. just let's take the scenario where they, they're not in a situation where they need back surgery, but they've still got their sciatica and they're still really yeah. in trouble. Usually about a gap of six or eight weeks is the ideal time to leave people settle down. Most people will take about six weeks to settle, for as sure. As in rest? Just rest or, you know, mobilising as a thing from yes. going and doing day-to-day duties. They do need a breeder. Then at that time, one can do a targeted injection. What do I mean by that? Well, you can say, well, look, we know the nerve going to your foot. It comes from an L, uh, an L5 or an S1 nerve root, mm -hmm. which is like saying that's the hotspot. Under x-ray, you can target that with a specific injection onto the area itself, deliver the local anesthetic and the steroid right onto that nerve root itself and pick it out. Just like your dentist goes through your teeth and says, which of these teeth are giving me trouble? Tick, yep. tick, tick. Oh, that's the one. Well, that's the one you need to treat. And that's the one you start with doing the work on. At that element to it, that could reduce 60, 70% of the pain for an individual. Now, that could make a massive impact. They'll say, goodness, I can work with this. I can mm -hmm. get a bit of a tweak. But that gets me back on, uh, you know, walking, gets me back to the physio, maybe even gets me cycling, doing something simple. And they can rebuild their life very, very quickly. And it eliminates surgery. It eliminates a lot of hard and work. And is that kind of kicking the can down the road? Does that, Or is that like, is this something... You can do it again in three years and it'll help equally as much. Absolutely. No, it can. It is repeatable, which yes. is good. And the idea is that you don't have to repeat it that often because if the body heals itself, and you asked that question a little bit earlier, you know, do we solve from the problem? No, we can. If we can uh, seal, for want of a better word, and this is the language I would use when I'm chatting, we need to seal or cover that nerve root that's a bit raw and it's a bit sore at the moment by putting some local anesthetic and the steroid to that area, it essentially reseals it and stops it firing, stops oh, it sending off the signal that's enough then and to that stop that pathway that we talked about going from the peripheral to the brain and all the way in and then that's more permanent so there's a bit of scarring there's a bit of issue you'll get a reminder from time to time if you go and do something a little bit too much but that's a big difference from saying I can't go to work and I'm out of work here and mm -hmm. and, and my economy is gone and everybody thinks I'm being grumpy and cranky and, and, uh, and losing your friends yeah yeah um, let's talk about so I have a predilection for using WebMD and there's this thing in WebMD where you, there's a there's a picture of a body and you point out where you're sore or where it hurts and uh, the diagnosis I always get is now I don't do it anymore but before it used to be sort of a, generally what I was describing was a hangover but it would always tell me fibromyalgia 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 and I feel like fibromyalgia is a catch-all term that doctors use when they can't find the root of the issue. So if it's nothing else, it must be fibromyalgia. Am and, I wrong? And, and that exactly is the definition because it is created to catch all everything else when nothing else seems to be 
the case. The case. Um, and as no, there's no harm in that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. A little bit of background. It really was developed by the rheumatology world back in the day. Okay, so rheumatologists did it with uh, connective tissue, which is muscles and joints and pain and arthritis. Again, so. Arthritis. That's their that's their forte. That's a different element than 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 chronic. It is pain, but it's a slightly different cohort. So traditionally, that's what that came into. And when they struggled to find a label or a blood test that could match that element, this was the category you slipped in. So, so, so by definition, it's when nothing else matches, this is the catch-all phrase. It's very irritating for anyone who you, you mention it to because you feel like, well, it's really only, you know, cotton wool. You're trying to give me something to go with it. Yeah. it it's handy if you want to, you know, have a chat over Christmas dinner and someone says, oh, I've got fibromyalgia, what have you got? And it's, it sounds good that way, but it doesn't do much and you, you can treat it. Now, let's, we can look at that. There are yeah. some options there. But do it doctors is, feel like people who present with fibromyalgia, I feel like they're sort of dismissed sometimes, like, oh, it's in your head or there's nothing we can do about that. I, I think there's, um, it would be unfair to generalise, but there is an element of that. I think that's a fair component because by the time you get to that, it kind of sets up an alarm bell, oh, fibromyalgia, because we do know fibromyalgia is associated with a lot of other conditions, okay? So, if, for example, individual fibromyalgia, you'll see a pattern towards irritable bowel syndrome, okay? Mm-hmm. Chronic low dam- low, low-lying low abdominal pain. You'll see pelvic-based pain. You tend to see female more than male. These mm-hmm. are just the numbers. You'll see it kind of in that category, f- 45 to 65 windows, a high-risk high, mm-hmm. high risk element to it itself. And so you, you do see being people have been categorized because they can't find any reason for it. Um, and there could be lots of good reasons. They may have a sleeping issue. They just not might be sleeping. They might be actually mm-hmm. fatigued. And yes, their muscles are sore. Could it be menopause? It could be menopausal-based pain again. But again, that hopefully would respond because people say, oh, we'll treat the menopause. Excellent. Okay, so like And then it settles down and everybody seems happy. Um, and it kind of goes away. So this okay. is where nothing else has worked. So when nothing else has kicked into it itself. Now, ironically, fibromyalgia is also very well studied. And I mean, there's a lot of support groups and a lot of aspects to it. And one of the things that helps fibromyalgia is activity. So an individual would be encouraged to do a little bit of what's, again, a posh word, aerobic rehabilitation. Go for a nice walk, not an excessive walk, a walk that you can enjoy, do your 15, 20 minutes, you're not too sore afterwards, and that your actually muscles get a chance of being oxygenated properly. And you're doing two things when you do that, is my vision, you have a nice flowing river, Blood flow is like a nice flowing river. Everything goes through and it's lovely. The minute it becomes slow, it gets a bit sludgy, just like the river. You get the silt on the bottom and it slows everything down. The trees, the debris, the plastic stuff that was thrown in all gets caught on the sides. That's all nasty stuff. The muscle doesn't want to know about that. It wants free flowing. Mm -hmm. So that's when you have that oxygenation going through. You're moving the little bit of debris. So sometimes it's just the debris, the metabolites that are actually being produced by the muscle that are hanging around and they're, they, they, irritate. They can be a little bit of um, acidic, they can be a bit of potassium, they can have all these molecules we know are there. We know muscle doesn't like them. Ask anyone who's done a little bit of running and they get a bit of lactic acid. Oh, that's not nice. That's not nice. Now that's what fibromyalgia really is. It's kind of a constant lactic Building. acid scenario mm-hmm. when you don't want to work. And that's the trick is if you can get over the, the hump of, oh, I can't walk because I'm too sore. But if you can walk, walk but you recover stretch. a little bit on the right side, you can manage it very well. There I are think it's so amazing that you've described it like that. So you've described it like the river and the acid buildup because I do think that very often exercise is prescribed and people think they're being shafted. Like they think unless they leave a doctor with a prescription that it's all in their head, that they're being gaslit, that nobody believes them. But when you talk about actually what exercise does, like what it's doing for your muscles, the oxygen it's bringing, what it's clearing out, that feels more like a prescription. Now now I'm like, okay, now I will walk because you're not just telling me to, you know, you're not just fobbing me off. Uh, I'll take it. I'm not fobbing you off. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I don't have fibromyalgia, but you know what I mean. Right. I do indeed. I know, I know what you mean. But you know, you came back, what was that word about pain management? This is what I would this call is. management. And this was you and me together. This is what you'd get my little little speed on it and that would be fine. But that's managing mm-hmm. the problem in front of you and it's not relying on one or the other. It's giving people back that little bit of responsibility in a nice way. And I suppose, again, the phrasing is, look, I want to switch it around that pain is controlling a person to you're controlling the pain. And you can put it back into its box and you try and control it. You try and do a few things that go through it. And it's difficult at times. There's no perfect window. And again, there'll be periods of over a 12-month window where you'll get the ups and downs and people 
will struggle and people will go, oh, this is great and fantastic. And then there's times. And again, the management of that might be trying to preempt and say, look, there's a bit of a pattern here. Come November and December, you're going to be a bit stiff. Guess what? The weather is coming down. You know, we're in Ireland. Let's be fair. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, the, the, the sun that goes down, your vitamin D level is going to be a bit down. So you need to manage that a little bit. So these are little things that matter. And if we can put the little things together, the big things take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then when you do an injection or you talk technology and you talk this and all the fancy stuff, then that has a fair chance. So there's a role for all of them. And that's what the management strategy is. It's trying to pick in. And when a person comes to me first, I'm hearing the story often for the first time. I'm landed into the middle of this soup and I've got to tease out what everybody else has told them and say, okay, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. Try and get back to the hub of it, get a little bit of confidence in it and then pick out the items that matter one by one. Because certainly when, when you approach an item, you try and identify where the key problem for the individual is. Yeah. And I said that, not the key pain, the key problem. What mm-hmm. is that? What do we rectify first? If we get that right, you'd be surprised that can gain 20, 30%. Then, then we might really see the problem that actually it is the muscle or it is the headache or it is the nerve fiber that actually is entrapped and yes that happened six years ago and you're you're still stuck with it so trying to tease that angle back is as important as understanding where it comes to and that's the challenge for me when i meet with people and we go through it and to be fair people are brilliant you know they they can buy into this they can get into it and they can become better Just taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Rockwell Financial. Rockwell Wealth Management are proud supporters of women in business. They support this podcast, they support me, and they want to support you too. They have a free consultation for basically listeners. This is the offer. You contact them, you tell them that you listen to the Basically podcast, and they will give you a free one-to-one consultation to help you with your wealth management or any financial advice you need. We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating. The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement, flexibility and strength. Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury, Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin, Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis, treatment, surgery and rehabilitation. With daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal, from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. Here at the podcast studios, we're opening our doors to everyone this Culture Night. Come see the place where your favourite headstuff shows are made. Get behind-the-scenes access, learn about production, and record your very own five-minute podcast. This is an opportunity not to be missed. Join us on Friday, 22nd of September. Register on eventbrite.ie or see the Culture Night website for details. We look forward to seeing you there. How do you, do you see a lot of people coming to you who have like a chronic dependence on salpidine, salpidol, dealing with their pain with opiates from prescriptions and how do you manage that? Um, the answer yeah, is yes on both and yes diff- with difficulty but there's um, a culture just for by way, by way of background people would be very familiar I'm sure with all of the present Netflixes and movies on this opioid and that opioid it's been around a long time and the states have been there I suppose it's gone back into the 70s if I, a little bit of history if I may it originally came back from the World Health Organization WHO um, back in the 70s they said cancer pain needs to be managed properly so we need to put what we call an analgesic ladder in so that the sequence you go from one product right up to opioid so this mm-hmm. was doing fantastic, great improvement for cancer care globally and everybody was happy. And then someone says, well, if it's working for cancer, why can't we apply it to other pain elements? And they said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And that's what happened. Essentially, you started moving products across into an area that was not what they were designed for. The, the level goes sky high yeah. in terms of dosages and regimes. Prescribers were, as you said, trying to maybe get people out of their office and say, here's yeah. a prescription, have a go off that. There's a great report, but it's for cancer pain. I'm not telling you it's cancer pain. Yeah. And they'll tell you it's great for this and that. And you end up with this whole addiction issue that was going on around for people. So that's where this has all come from. And that's where all these programs have come from. Of course, pharma got inter- interested. 
big, big pushers, states, Canada. In fact, Germany was a big problem as well, if you look mm-hmm. at it from a European perspective. So that's that's the history. And that's what we have to struggle with. So you have some people who are stuck on that. And I suppose in Ireland, we actually probably have a higher level of opioid prescribing than a lot of other countries. And that yeah. includes codeine, um, which would be the salpidol, salpidines. Anyone who's listening who who wants to go down to the, the chemist, they have to have a Spanish Inquisition now to get their salpidol and their codeine. I agree with it. I think it's right. It's mm-hmm. the only way of policing it. There was a time when you could take one product off the shelf and you go behind the counter and get two other products. And people didn't even know they were getting a codeine in with their with their ibuprofen yeah. plus if we're allowed to use this but that's what you're talking branding and they have two or three products taking them all home using the way it's no wonder you were looking at problems for sure so you have this background and the second wave of that is people see this and hear it so they have a negativity towards these products as well saying god I can't have that because I don't want to be addicted Yes, okay. Oh, okay. Now, that's another problem, okay? Mm-hmm. We don't want you addicted, of course, and we don't want you to build up tolerance, which could happen if you don't manage it. But you might be actually taking away a product that we could actually use sensibly. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean a fixed dosing regime for a small period of time can be very useful. And the whole objective is to get you into control, get you moving. We'll use these to get you moving. And once you're moving, we'll get rid of it. That's that's the proper strategy. Yes, okay. But it often goes the other way that you just get the dose just so high an individual comes in, they're stuck in these products. They have all the side effects. They have everything from just being, you know, tummy bloatiness, constipation, actual headaches when they actually miss their medication. You get yeah. this rebound headache that comes, which is even worse than the headache or whatever they're taking That for. they're recovering it. And, and, and you said then appetite goes off, um, skin quality, hair quality, people feel miserable. And unfortunately then there's an element of, um, I suppose, esteem uh, gets into trouble, self-esteem falls. And then there's, oh, that person's always on Cody Ash or she, yeah. she needs, she's stuck on the tablets now, she'll go nowhere. People give up. They stay at home, they stick their tablets, they think that's it, maxed out. Whereas it's a really bad cycle. And that unfortunately is where we are at the moment. Um, it, there is there is an attitude of trying to fix that, which we must do. Um, but there's a role for opioids as tools across the spectrum. And that's where we need to improve things. And there's a couple of reasons why that might be the case. Our medics sometimes aren't actually comfortable with it. The pharmacy world are very comfortable with it, but they've maybe gone to the other extreme, the other extreme being so yeah. rigid. Um, so there's there's a few things to change here, but not just about patient behaviour, but actually healthcare behaviour has to change. You know, yeah, and the role well. that it plays. Um, I have some questions from listeners uh, to put you on the spot, um, if you don't mind. No um, I'll try and get a, a, like a wide enough range of them so that uh, it'll help. Um what are there any alternatives to opiates? My mum is allergic to opiates, but she's in constant pain. It's kind of what we were talking about. There, well, what we were talking about. The answer is yes, there is. Okay, I mean that's it, and has to be taken on a day to day basis. When you get allergic to opioids, and I think just just to be fair, it probably means that they they don't tolerate them. And when you get the element of oh, I don't tolerate them, probably means you don't need them. Because yes, the body okay. is clever, kind of disposes things it doesn't want. So that's the mm-hmm. first marker. Um, one has to be careful, obviously. Anti-inflammatories are, are the next most likely prescribed product available to us, right? But again, that has to come at the right time. No point putting an anti-inflammatory product in if there's no inflammation and the day has gone past it. So again, a routine. And there's a high, high level or there's a long list of contraindications, particularly in the older cohort of how doing it, how to prescribe it or when to prescribe it. So there's a role. But then this is where the procedures might come in on board when you have that scenario, which is a very common one where you can now offer them some localised injection. For example, if they've, you might actually establish that it actually is their knee is their pain. Yeah. So why can't we do some work on their knee? Can we do an interarticular knee injection? Can we do the nerve fibres going to the knee? Can we use techniques like denervation and pulse denervation to be really clever? Stop the nerve, stop the pain coming from the first place. Then you don't need the medication at all. And guess what? They'll walk a bit easier, the muscle tone comes up. So that's exactly how you tease out that starting point of yeah. what's the cause of the pain? Let's go back Let's first. Go. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, you might not know this as, as a man. Is unmedicated birth and labour the most painful thing that a human can experience? No, I get into a lot of trouble if I answer that question. <laughs> well, I, I've had a C-section so I don't know, but apparently, apparently it's we'll, pretty we'll give, bad. We'll give it. It is, and it is, but it's again, it's a physiological component to it and, and that is the body to it. So absolutely, the thought of it would be, but you guess, remember, just for listeners and people are very scared of pain, particularly if they have a background of chronic pain going into pregnancy and yeah. this would be very often a scenario, ladies would come to me, we'd be managing their, their their scenario. Um, let's just say sacroiliac joint, right? Pelvic pain, low back pain has been traveling for a while. They're on a certain degree of medication. They need it. They're getting pregnant. They, they say, okay, 
goodness me, I've either get off these medications, and how am I going to cope? That's number one. And will my pain level be higher now? Or will I be able to cope with it? The answer is no, it won't be, because the body will have about nine months mm-hmm. to get used to it. So physiologically, we adapt to pain. It's There's not no just, way you're not anybody just nine months pregnant off the, the street, day. you're not going from zero to nine months down and deliver. That yeah. would be impossible. That's why it's different. And that's why, you know, ladies are designed to be ladies for exactly that reason. They've got the whole endocrine system that works really, really, Hormones really well. Slowly and, but the bigger fear everything. sometimes is being individuals who are on products, they're doing quite well, how to steer them off it for a short period of time. Okay. Um, for example, I'm sure all your listeners will know the, 12, the first 12 weeks is critical. We need to minimize it. There's a gap in between where you can get some flexibility. But again, this is where procedures can come in very useful. Obviously, you can't use x-ray. Ultrasound. Ultrasound guided injections, very easy to do, sensible, practical. Buys that gap of that 20 or 30% improvement, maybe helps out with the low back, the pelvic instability, and lets people get comfortable during that time. Makes the whole thing a bit easier. Gets them over to the far side. And then potentially after about six or seven weeks out post-pregnancy or post-delivery, you, you can uh, you can reconsider procedures at that point. It takes about six to ten weeks for the body then to recalibrate and come yes, back okay. in to actually make it worthwhile. Um, and of course, those nerve fibres change during pay- pregnancy as well. Endocrine-wise, those nerve fibres are primed to be able to cope with that level a lot easier as well. So the body has, as I said earlier, the ability to adapt to these scenarios. Just like we get used to chronic pain, you get used to uh, systems because the system adapts and that's it's that's interesting good. isn't it how uh, like you're saying there like a lot of it is actually the fear of the person saying how am I going to manage but like once they feel they have your support it's going to be okay that the panic at least is is removed true and I think that's probably one where where maybe the little experience in in the in the healthcare service needs to improve mm-hmm. one of the elements that um, I'm working on with with UCC is to get a better undergraduate program and postgraduate program in place for individuals so that's one of the objectives from the School of Medicine with my appointment was to try and uh, bring in pain training programs much earlier not just expect a GP first day on the office walk in and know how to deal with everything else there's there's a weakness there's a big weakness as I said 60-70% of people who turn up in primary care come in with pain Yeah. but the GPs really are going on what they've seen where they've seen it rather than a structure and that's so we need to change we that culture we have to change that culture and then that's the support for, for everybody coming in it's going to benefit We have a question here it's, um, I saw a wonderful pain management uh, specialist, but in the end, it was acupuncture that worked for me. Do you ever recommend alternative therapies? Yes, I do. Um, again, like every th- like every therapy, no matter all the ones we've, we've spoken about, timing is critical. No point having acupuncture, for example, if you've got a disc and it's entrapped in the leg pit, you probably won't get an awful lot from that. On the other hand, uh, no point having a selective nerve root and a very fancy if what all you've got is tightness across your shoulder blades or your, or your neck muscles. Mm-hmm. So acupuncture has a role to play. It has a role to play at certain timing. So like everything else, it's when you address that issue within the pain pathway, that's that's the right thing to do. Um, just as deep massage can be as useful, as useful. at the right time. Yeah. You've mentioned the TENS machine. There's another device called the BioWave, a non-invasive wearable device. Again, fits in the window in between. It's a step up between the TENS and the next level out. Um, cold packs, very sensible. Heat packs, very sensible. Everything that gives us that couple of percentage that we take, it's knowing when to use it and how to use it. And sometimes people feel, as we've already said, is that the, you know all I have here is two ice packs and that's it. Maybe you don't. Yeah, there are other options. Uh, I know you can't speak very much about like specific cases, but uh, I'll just ask you and you just say like yes or no. But I'm 38, I need a hip and knee replacement, but I'm too young for surgery. What can I do? Okay. Is that too young for surgery? Um, the the straight answer is yes, it, it, in terms of equipment. Okay. Right, okay. <laughs> the, the surgeons try and get a 10-year gap between out of equipment. So say after 10 years, you expect uh, the knee or the hip to be replaced. Okay. okay. Now, in that situation, and that, that does come in the door, uh, you know, and people have it and people are more active younger, so they're, they're picking up on it, but they pick up injuries. So you can target the nerve again. You'd say, okay, what can we do about that joint? Can we deal with the pain source? Can we bring it to a level that the individual says, you know what, it is a bit sore, but it's much more manageable. So targeted nerve injections around the knee joint, for example, around the hip joint may respond to some local back work. Um, Sometimes it's not the hip is the problem, for example, but it may be the tendon in the area, for example, the gluteal tendon is the one that sits in the cheekier bottom and comes around the side and people, that's what's sore, that's what's giving you the issue. So the joint might be fine, but it's the tissue around it is a problem. So So you you target that. that, you work that properly, you get that to settle down. 
and people are back on the bike and they're finding out the resistance uh, that they like. And by that, I mean, it's either walking or running or swimming or yoga or Pilates mm-hmm. and you keep going. And that's how you can buy five or six years. No problem. And everybody is, is that works out for everybody, really. How long do benefits of rhizotomy, rhizotomy. last on the lower back? Um, rhizotomy, sometimes referred to as a denervation or heat treatment or burning the tissue off a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, it depends a little bit on on when people come for it. But by the book, you're looking because for... Because their age or how long they've had the pain? How long they've had the pain. Right, okay. Because a couple, a couple of elements. Rhizotomy lower back will be done for a, a situation or a, a diagnosis of lumbar facet joint syndrome, which means the facet joints, the knuckle joints that side a little bit left and right of your spinal column have been working too hard. The nerves in that area are really buzzing and they're mm-hmm. really giving you off the pain. That's the low back pain. Um, so you can treat them. Absolutely. Now, when you look at denervation, which is the rhizotomy category, you're looking for a 50% improvement, mm-hmm. paying down by half, and you're targeting six months. Okay. That's the book. That's the clinical trial. You can get individuals who might make four months the first go. That wouldn't disappoint me. I'd say, okay, we can do a bit better. You can repeat it. And then you push out. I have other individuals. We might do that treatment. 18 months later, they're still back. They're back playing football. They're back playing soccer. They're doing what they want to do. The body has healed itself. And any of these procedures, particularly around this type of work, what you want to do is you're giving the body the optimal area, the optimal time to, to heal, heal itself. itself. Okay. And that's all you need to do. And that's what these elements do from time to time. And that's 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 fine. It works really well, very effective. It's drug-free, which is great. It's very accurate because it's all technology. You're finding the nerve fiber and that's what brings it up. So it's a really good practical technique to do it. And that can be done in the neck, in the lower back um, and many areas as well. Well, there's someone here who said that an epidural steroid injection didn't work on their neck. Does that mean that surgery is my next option or there are, are there other options? On, on a straight option, the, the, I would be much more interested in what's going on. Okay, so fine. Cervical epidural um, and in fact lumbar epidurals are a little bit like going into a room with a roller a brush and painting the wall. It'll do okay. the bulk of the work, but actually the detail is the devil here. So you need the small paintbrush to get into the corners and don't Cut make a mess in, of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And that's where things like rhizotomy or facet joints. So if someone comes to me with that, I'd be going, okay, we'll eliminate all that as your cause. we got to look at the small joints, the small nerves. So that's where the source of the pain may be. So you definitely will be going itself. straight to surgery. No, now, I, like and that. most surgeons would probably try and divert you out of it unless there's something very obvious on an MRI. So there's a bit of scope in me there to get going from it itself. Now, again, when someone comes to me, I'm not going to drag on procedures forever because I like like you said I expect certain outcomes from certain procedures and if it matches it then you can stay on track if it doesn't and there's no response from a procedure that's equally valuable because it's saying well there's no point going down that route anymore that's not going to win so, so we'll, it's all we'll information that helps so it's information so patients come to me and they'll come in right oh that, that didn't really help me and I said well it might help you but it's really helped me understand what your problem is yeah. and now we've eliminated x y and z so therefore it must be itemize and that's very helpful because you're on track all the time uh, what is the best long-term option for pain and muscle spasm associated with fibromyalgia um, probably exercise aerobic rehabilitation a nice one saying some light exercises doesn't mean that you have to walk 10 kilometers it's the it's the short episodes rehabilitating oxygenating pilates for stretching because that's what's happening a little bit in the fibromyalgia muscle they're kind of getting crampy in, within themselves so stretching them and reminding the fibers of their function is important that really is probably the single best thing overall for it you can look at some help from certain medication and um, some listeners might be used to things like amitriptyline very useful very helpful calms down the nerve fibers within the muscles very good there are pros and cons but it's useful you can use an agent called baclofen which is an anti-spasmodic a little bit can take the edge off the, the spasm again shortish targets so stuff that you want people on just to get them moving and then take it away and then see how can the muscle actually recover itself which is the important bit to it I mean I have so many questions but I'll just go one or two more why could a person have pain three years post healed tibial hairline fracture Will the pain ever go away? Diagnosis straight off has got neuropathic pain, which means the nerve fibres within themselves have now become so accustomed to the pain pattern that's there that that's actually a driver. In that type of fracture, even if it's hairline, and in some situations, fractures aren't even visible, 
the nerve fibers themselves get entwined. They get entwined in the scarring tissue, the localized tissue themselves. Mm -hmm. Just like a bit of ivy comes up the wall and it climbs up across it and and and, and hugs Perhaps it on. and irritates yeah. it. That nerve now has been squeezed, if you imagine it, and it's sending a signal all the time. So much so that that goes to being the norm. And that's what neuropathic pain is. Pain that persists beyond a reasonable healing time and it gives you these features themselves. What do you do? intersect it. There's a couple of options you can think about it from a pharmacological point of view. There's medications that are specifically targeted to do this. Again, dose management could do a great job for that. You might go upstream and do localized blocks to it. You might do some work around it. So certainly not, um, I would say, not the end of the road at all. I'd be very keen to do to do and Something have a look at that type of a candidate and say, look, we have a bit of work to do here. And would that be the same with this person who says chronic headaches since having a small skin cancer removed from my forehead and nothing seems to relieve them? If that, and we can just visualise for a second, if that's localised where the skin, the surgical site, to, again, there's those nerve fibres. Nerve, nerve fibres. There's options there very quickly. You can you can use localised injection. There are some techniques, some patch systems that can actually intersect those uh, nerve fibres, which you just wear for short periods of time to counterbalance it. The product I'm thinking of is something that has called capacin in it. Anyone who's had a nice Chinese and a bit of chilli in it and you get that numbness in your lips, you can apply that to the territory itself and it intersects, numbs, the area up on a permanent basis maybe get three or four months of actually good relief from it itself very repeatable not a drug stays locally so that could be an extremely easy fix for an individual who's who's caught in that in that window this person has osteoarthritis in their right hip exercises recommended but they struggle to exercise what do you recommend um Again, when you have that level of, of wear and tear, that's another word for, for, for what we're talking about here is that the joint itself, the space, which we should have a little bit of a, a lubrication or a fluid element, that's bone on bone. It's irritating. Um, some individuals would inject the joint itself, put some local and steroid into it itself. Usually when they get to me, that joint is probably too tight and too small. So you're go not going to get an awful lot of benefit. So in that situation, what I would do, would I would take the nerve fibers that are coming externally. So we've got branches called our trickler branches that feed into the hip and you can target those from outside, stop the signal, all that settles down is that symptom of pain coming back. A person will be back walking on the treadmill, on the bike in a reasonably short period of time. Very repeatable, saves individuals from surgery or in some situations, people who aren't suitable for surgery for a whole array of other medical reasons. Um, so you can divert this and make things so much easier for people. Someone has asked here about, and I'm just asking because I'm interested, your thoughts on low dose naltroxine. What is that? Um, essentially is a system or a, a background medication that works along the opioid uh, pathway. It intersects the pathway of opioid, with opioid being um, the way the body produces its own pain, pain relieving system, which we all have. Um, so you're beginning to counterbalance that with a low dose component. So it's like feeding into an inhibitory system because again, normal pain pathways have two systems, a positive pathway and an inhibitory one. So every time you get a pain, you actually get an, an opposite signal to, to, to calm it down a small bit for you. To think about it, if, if you fall over or a young child falls over, the mother will run up to the child, they'll rub where the shin was, oh, mm -hmm. and they're creating another pathway. They're creating an activity of negative signal to counterbalance. Okay. Then naltroxone fits into that from a chemical point of view. So it kind of stimulates that a little bit. Stimulate is the wrong word, but it chemically stimulates, stimulates it yeah. and bluntens it. So now you just bluntened it by a notch or two. And it can be very useful. It can really make a difference. Sometimes it can make a difference for individuals who are sensitive to other products. So there's a, there's a bit of a role in it there. Has it's a role not one it. you can jump up and down with. But again, it's like people who say vitamin D is very important and they get relief from it. Yes, some individuals can do very well with that. So all these little things matter, but they're not the they one all you can off. Place. They have their own place. And that's yeah. the listening bit to it because that's the biggest thing. We never even said that. Mm -hmm. What you do when you meet a patient, you listen. The patients have the answer. For me, I always think the patient has the answer. It's sitting in front of us here we just got to tease out where it, it is together. and how to get to it and listening is the key. And with your work in the World Institute of Pain which I just think is the funniest title I've ever heard um, <laughs> not pain management like just the World Institute of Pain I imagine you guys sitting around boardrooms thinking of ways to inflict pain on people um, are you guys looking at you know using technology and kind of that sort of advancement or what, what do you do? Firstly, just to give it a bit, a bit of background, the World Institute of Pain is about 35 years old. It's 30 right, years okay. old. It's been going around a while. And the goal of it is actually it's an educational platform board. So the objective back in the day was uh, 
pain physicians globally need to be at a certain standard mm -hmm. so that our patients know when they meet someone who has this qualification or this level that they're getting some standardization across the element. Now, there's an added advantage if you're going to do trials and studies that everybody's doing the same thing the same way. That's the big bonus. But it's about making sure people are safe. And because at the end of the day, medicine's about like first do no harm. So that's where the, the motto comes from. So our primary goal is an educational platform. Mm -hmm. So we run cadaver courses. So we would take a young doctor or a young consultant. They would come to the lab. They would be shown on cadavers and models how to do the procedure. What's the safe way before they're let loose in the general public? And they get signed off to do it. So there's a bit of logic to that. But it is an examination. It's the only fellowship globally. It is the only fellowship that's recognized for pain physicians. And in some countries, it's the standard of, of, of what you have to achieve to be a consultant. For example, in Switzerland, the European countries, the Netherlands, it's it's, it's the big talking point. Um, Ireland is a little different because we have different structures over the time. We have a different education, you know, through our schools, our medical schools, a little bit different. So this is a standard of, of way of neutralizing every, or equalizing everybody globally. Yeah. And it's about learning new techniques. So if a technique comes on and says, this is very good, the senior people look at it and say, look, that actually is safe. Here's the steps. Here's how you do it. Let's put it out there and let's develop it So it's it not forward. like each pain doctor for their for themselves. It's no, like absolutely. It standardizes cool. across the road. So we've about, there's about three and a half thousand members. Um, there's worldwide. About, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, 25 different associations in terms of globally at the moment. Um, so every second this year we hold World Congresses. I was um, involved with organizing the one in 2017 in Dublin, one of the biggest congresses that we've ever had on it. So we had a lot of people above in the Congress Hall and they were all very happy. They loved Ireland, of course, uh, which was good. But we did a lot of good good act activity work. So we take it to these countries that sometimes are developing as well mm -hmm. so that we can get the younger doctors to get them interested in pain, to understand about pain medicine. Um, but the interventional bit then is that level up. So this isn't just about, you know, having a go everything we've spoken about, there's a rationale. It's clinically it's based clinical evidence place. so that we have some pattern that's safe for individuals and that they understand that they're doing the technique properly. That's the goal of it. So it's an educational platform. Um, so it's, 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 it's very useful. It's... Um, as I said, globally. And now we're going into different languages, even at the moment, we're going to a Spanish version, we're going to South America to take up on that element because of it. In January, I'm going to Taiwan to actually speak at that meeting because of the Taiwanese have just exploded. The whole Asian market is only coming on board from a pain perspective um, to just get the skill levels up and it's Great. growing. Um, Middle East and Turkey exploding. Europe just can't get enough. And it's fantastic because the more doctors who know about pain medicine and hopefully have some of these skills, the more people can be helped out yeah. in, the, in, in the least invasive way possible. And that's wonderful. And we're here at the Matter Private Network and you you work here in the Matter Private. Um, what is it like for people in the public system? Is it easy to access pain care or is it kind of overrun like most of our... Um, just for your listeners, I, I was, I've obviously trained through the, the HSC and the public service in this country for 20 plus years, 25 years. I was a consultant there for nearly 10 years and then have moved into the private area fully. And perhaps the reason for saying that is just shows you the difficulties that are that are in the HSE system and the public system at the moment. Um, undoubtedly, you know, I was there, it was very busy. It still is busy. It's even busier now since COVID and everybody's gone behind by a year or a half and they're even mm -hmm. a waiting list. So extremely difficult. There just isn't enough pain doctors. But again, if you speak to diabetologists, there's enough of those there's guys enough, either. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a universal problem. Patients do find difficulty getting in. Um, so that is a real, real challenge. It is difficult. I do think we have to look probably much cleverer at how we run all our management strategies and how we bring technology into managing situations such as, um, you know, assessing people at distance, um, identifying individuals who do and don't need to be there. For example, an individual who has that low back pain, has the sciatica, do they really need to be in the orthopedic service or can they get into the pain service a bit quicker or do they need to go to physio? Because they're not going to need to be. That's the thing. Like if someone comes to see you, I don't presume people need to see you every week or every, like it's it's sort of a, not a one and done, but like... No, it, 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 you tend to be, we tend to be friends for life, which yes. is good. Okay. But a lot of people do, do move on, which is good, but they have the structure, which is important, yeah. which you are right. More on the surgical, there is a kind of in surgery, six, eight weeks, then they move on because the okay. surgery is over. The pain medicine picks up on the other side of it. So it is a medicine. It is something we need to manage and move forward differently. And that's where the track, the chaka block comes into it in the HSE service. Mm -hmm. But part of the problem is, 
it's historic. People are coming too late to the service. So at that stage, you're trying to They're unwind three, four, issue. five years. So you spend a lot of time, energy, resources trying to sort that. And in the services that are probably overwhelmed by what the demands on themselves. I, and what's fascinating is you're saying that like the longer this goes on, we know that neurologically like these pathways are going to develop. So if you can get to someone quicker, they're actually going to have less of an issue. To, they're going to be in with you for less time. Absolutely. And that's that's the key window. Um, unfortunately, that's, the, that's also the struggle. And to complicate matters, if you think about our aging population, we're going to have, you know, maybe 25% more people over 65 by 2020, 50. Now, that doesn't the long way out, okay? That's mm-hmm. not a long way out. That means all those individuals are going to have another extra number of years to develop chronic pains Pain. and develop pain issues from the lifestyle that we now have in front of computers or, or walking or not walking as the case may be and etc. So that it is actually going to escalate. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more a problem down the line and we're not set up for that aspect at all. So we need to be thinking how do we help out these people much earlier, make accessibility to a whole range of things differently. But that's a big challenge and there's multiple facets in that. Everything from not enough pain doctors, enough physios, enough etc. The structure is there, I think, but it just needs to be realigned, you know, globally to get it right and everybody on the same page but you know running off to see one service and not knowing what the other one is doing is not good enough really. great. Professor Dominic Hegarty is there anything else uh, we need to know before we finish up or if people want to get in touch with you where can they find you yeah um and that's important information is, is important to get out there um, anyone who might want to have a little bit more about what we spoke about um, Pain Relief Ireland is the website I put my own stuff up on a little bit a little bit more information things like contacting us and how to get to us here in the matter private as well through that aspect as a whole platform I would say to people speak to your GP highlight that there is a pain service in your in your area um, great if it's Cork but there's Dublin there's other sites that are there as well and um, just start talking to people see what the options are and um, don't, don't leave pain just erode the best part of your life just because you haven't discussed it, you haven't looked at your options. You'd be pleasantly surprised, I think, that there are some really good options out there for people. So do a little bit of homework, which is the way to go. Very few people need to live in constant pain. Professor Dominic Hegarty from The Matter Private, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin, our graphic designers by Kahlo Gara, we're produced by Julie Hassett and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.